you're exactly where you need to be. And you're listening to ADD Comedy with Dave Rosansky. Today's guest is actor, writer, Michael Stoyanov. Michael's best known for his five years on Blossom, but he's also been on Reno 911, The Dark Knight, Justified, and he had a memorable arc on Beverly Hills 90210. Michael talks about George Clooney's graciousness, the benefits of working out of your wheelhouse, American politics, and the joy of watching someone watching Breaking Bad. This, listeners, is a good one. I'll catch you at the other side. Exactly, and uh, so I gave it a shot over there, and uh, so I spent a year in Europe is the, the short version of the story, and so I traveled, of course, extensively, and so I saw a great deal of Europe, particularly mm. Western Europe. Um, I'm heading, we're going to Berlin, then she's going off and doing a workshop in Würzburg, mm-hmm. Marburg, and then I'm traveling over to, switch that, I'm traveling, then I'm flying over to London, nice. and I'm doing a workshop, working workshops in London oh, wow. and Edinburgh. But the idea of... I just whispered, wow, like really impressed. I hope that the mic is sensitive <laughs> enough to pick up how impressed and how... But, he, but the thing is, like, to go there and, and to follow your bliss to be able to go there. That's because, great. And uh, we both have had really... We both have had very substantial career right. events. Right. And we have also have made choices to go, I am done with that career event, right. and now I'm going to this other thing. That is true. That's interesting that you, you are aware. Because I, mean, I feel like I've definitely made some choices. Some of them poor. Some of them I look back and I'm like, wow, that was, I, I had no idea that was going to work out as well as it, it, sh- it did. And then others, you know, where you're like, ah, oh, maybe, maybe I should have gone that other, other road. I should have taken that road, not taken. But here's the thing about that. So what you're saying is regrets. You have, a, you have some regrets. And I always look at the regrets because I look at it and I think, I don't, I got to say, I don't know that I have, if I have a regret, maybe I have two of them. Right. And these two regrets, I got to turn that thing off. These two regrets are, are, are just ridiculous. But we aren't, we aren't. I have way more regrets personally than professionally, that's for sure. But here's the thing. We aren't airdropped into the middle of our lives. Right. That which we've done, that which precedes that It's hard to pull something out and be like, here, and then analyze it in a vacuum and be like, that was regretful. Right. I get what you're saying exactly. Right. Because everything leads, comes from something and then leads to the rest. Everything comes to that thing. Uh And that's what you did because it wasn't like, it wasn't like, uh, Michael, this is what we're going to do. We're going to bash you over the head, put you in a coma, and throw you back into your life. Someone did actually come to me and say that to me at one point. And that, uh, that I I regret, I will will say. I was talking to a fictional. Okay. Not not you. But But you know what I mean? Like at that moment, we're, Whatever it is that I'm doing, I'll sit back and I'll go, oh, I fucking can't believe that I'm here right now, uh-huh. whatever the fuck that is, as right. opposed to, I how did I get here? I right, know exactly right. how I got there. Right. Your life events and a series of choices led you to this place, and then there you were. Right. Sure. And everything that you've done has, have, and looking at those other things that you go, ah, well, that didn't work out quite the way I thought it was, mm-hmm. which is your problem. No, you're probably one's problem where they have the expectation. Right. And the expectation throws you off because the expectation is never that which it is that happens. I feel like this conversation is like if you want to watch My Dinner with Andre, but you're not quite prepared, and you want like an appetizer version, like a lighter, <laughs> less, right. less heady, less <laughs> smart version to like, well, I'm not sure I'm ready for freaking, right. what is it, Previn, Andre? Uh, uh, no, and, Andre uh, Gregory. Andre and, Gregory uh, Wallace Shawn, right. like sure pontificating uh, over, you know, crab salad for two hours. Someone Like just, maybe Rizowski and Stoyanov <laughs> can get me sort of a taste of that, but a little lighter, because exactly. I got stuff so I want to do. I want to listen in my car while I go to Ralph's. 
people do <laughs> comment on the the meetings that we have, uh -huh. whatever, the meetings that we all have, and it's and, and it is exactly that. <laughs> Most of them are that. The ones that aren't that are the ones where I go. We're really not going to talk about that. <coughs> Are you really going to put up this facade? We can talk about anything. I understand that, but I'm mostly because I'm, I'm afraid I, I have so few <coughs> subjects and topics that like we better just open it up because like. But that's what I feel about it too. I was going to say, uh, my girlfriend Laura, she is she's not obsessed with pop culture, but she's smart. She's mm -hmm. a very intelligent person, and right. she has she has access and she's curious and all mm -hmm. these things. So she knows these things that I don't know. Right. She knows pop culture from <coughs> like she's she's just thirty one years old, but she oh. knows pop culture because she. She she's curious and she right. goes into it and she checks it out. Well, that generation has access to all that. Like I find, because again, I was on a show in the '90s, right? And uh, you know, but I still I'll find like young kids in their 20s, like I love the show, and I'm like, how did you even gain at like in my day a show like that would have been dead and gone, and I would have no idea about it, you know? And now in the rise of cable TV and especially the internet, like it's like they have this compendium of knowledge, so they can ends. be like pop culture mavens from the 70s through to today. And it's like, how did you do that? You're 27, like, right. you know. Right. But uh, yeah, so God bless a, the kids. But there wasn't there a time period, uh, for me there was a time period where, because I was at Second City from mm -hmm. 1987 to 1994, and right. we did not have VCRs at that time. Right. There's a lot of shit that I fucking don't know about. Right. Like, I have no idea. Empty nest. Don't know what it is. Actually, I was on an episode of that. Oh, right. That's probably why you're bringing it up. You no, do your study. I did not know this. Right. The thing is like, I don't know what that show is. So you talk about John Stamos, and I go, was he in that? He wasn't in that. Right. No, that's the full. And because I don't know who the fuck those people are, sometimes right. they're insulted by that. Right. Well, just for the sake of enlightenment, edification, uh, Richard Mulligan of uh, soap fame, so like an edgy, very brilliantly talented Did character actor. Show. Yes, that was sort of his his vehicle in the wake of the popularity he garnered off of soap. Right, and uh, then Christy McNichol. It was sort of a comeback show for her, big, sort of teeny bopper star from the seventies, and you know, so that was that show. That was Empty Nest. Right, and it was a Whit Thomas show. Got it. Right, with Thomas. And they produce soap, and they produce Golden Girls, and they produce Blossom, and they produce. I remember auditioning for those people when I was in when I was in the uh, the audition game. Right. I remember auditioning for Whit Thomas. But what was Thomas's first name? There was Tony Thomas. Tony Thomas, uh, who was right. the brother of Marlo Thomas, and of course the son of uh, Danny Thomas. Danny Thomas, who was a, well, not only a performer but a legendary early TV producer. Like right. produced like a un godly amount of the shows you may remember from uh, the 50s oh, or like uh, if you heard a name you'd be like oh yeah and there was a Danny Thomas production I think probably like like my mother the car or and or Hazel or right. like every sort of like Hazel. sort of like you know like schlocky and, and I say it with Wait, love Shirley I say Booth. schlocky with love yes you know with like love. every sort of you know uh, uh, at this now obvious like premise driven sitcom from the 50s, you know, they were just inventing it, so it wasn't as, like, like devoid of edge back then. Right. But, like, yeah, all the, like, Father Knows Best, obviously, was I was, was about to say show. Father Knows Best, right. Yeah. But all those, all those, it's so interesting to look back on those, to, to look at those shows, and I love what you just said uh -huh. about, at that time, it wasn't seen as schlocky. That's at the that whole time, thing. It's all, as it. comedy is all, always in forever timing, you know what and, I mean? Uh, yes. Yes, and I think it's really important for people to go, okay, I have, because uh, I do travel all over and I work with a lot of people who are younger people who don't right. have an understanding. Like the other day, I had to tell a group in Australia, I, I had to go, well, you know the scene 
the stateroom scene in uh, A Night at the Opera. Uh -huh. And they go, oh, we don't know that. It's like, oh my God. Now here's the thing, it's not like, oh my God, what's wrong with you? It's like, oh my God, you get to watch That's this like scene. when you discover someone doesn't hasn't ever seen a show you worship, you exactly. love, and you're like, oh my God, you, oh, I, I almost wish I could some, be you, or at least Laura's watch you Miller's watch Crossing. it. just Crossing. We just saw Miller's like, Crossing right. for the first time. Great movie. But he's like, oh my God, may I watch you watch Breaking Bad? Like, I see, I think that that's the greatest thing is to go hold off, then fucking binge the fuck out of it, have a bunch of I'll shitty make a, nightmares. I will make a decision, like a rash, uh, spontaneous, impulsive decision based on premise. And like that show is like uh, a high school teacher becomes a meth dealer. Ah, uh, you know what? I'm not. That does not appeal to me in any way, shape, or form. Like you know, uh, a man of mystery becomes like ad agency, like. Uh, savant in the in the or late 50s and 60s that is in, inherent I'm in it's like you got me Breaking Bad didn't do that for me so it took a while for me but then like literally the first five minutes of the first episode I was like okay definitely going to get this I gotta I'm, tell you Michael the first fucking s scene of an RV driving through a uh, desert with a pair of right, pants right. dangling on the side <laughs> and you go what the fuck just happened to that because here's the thing don't please TV don't answer all the fucking questions for me. Right. Would you do me a favor? Right. Let me how about, sit. How about there. ask a few questions first, and let me let me ruminate. You exactly. Know? Yeah, let me figure out sure. how the fuck we got here. And don't. It's not. And I talk about this in my class too. Nobody likes the first episode of a shitty sitcom. Right. Like, Carlos, I'm so glad you came down. Even here a, to the, bar the first episode of a brilliant sitcom. Like I think if you watch the first 15 or so episodes of Seinfeld, you're like, how? How did they make it? The, and it's like. Especially because you have those characters, they're so clear and they're defined, and like these brilliant, brilliant actors. But they clearly, you need the writing staff to sort of figure out what, and this is, I speak a little bit from experience, having been on a show that ran five years. Like the staff, you figure what your talent, you, you don't know what Michael Richards is really. You don't know what Jason Alexander, what is, what Louis, Julie, Julie Louis Dreyfus, you know, and you figure it out. But the first 15 episodes of that show, I think, are like terrible. And it's like, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. You know, but they're all, you watch like seasons like three and beyond and you're like, this show is one of the best, most well put together, consistent 22 minutes of comedy like ever created. And, but it takes a while to get there, even when the great ones, that's why like, it's kind of a, it's a blessing that we have all these outlets now and like Amazon and like, you know, my Ooh. dry cleaners, like I'm producing a show. It's like, oh wow, it's, who isn't? You know, but, but it's like, cause now there's cleaner. room, there's time. And also, if your dry cleaner's producing a show, uh -huh. at one point you go, good luck. But now you're going to go, yeah, I got it. Maybe. Right, Maybe. right. Uh, but you look For at his sake, you, you hope it's about dry cleaning and not like it's oh. set in space. And it's like, <laughs> write, write what you know. Produce what you know, buddy. I love Don't, you set know. in space because that's exactly what I was thinking of. When you said that, I was like, I hope it's not set in space. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but then you look at the first episode um, of... Uh, is writer Ed Lee. Do you know Ed Lee? That sounds kind of familiar. Yeah. Uh, Ed Lee brought in, I, uh, I used to teach at the, I still do, uh, uh, the California Summer, California Summer Arts Festival. Mm -hmm. it was in, it's in Monterey Bay, and I would, I, this is the first year I hadn't taught there in, in a dozen years. Um, but Ed Lee would come in, uh, Ed Lee came in, and he brought in the first episode, uh, the pilot episode, the first episode of Cheers. Mm -hmm. and, and I had never, I don't think I ever saw it. Right. And it is fucking fantastic right it unfolds that sounds unfolds, right and it's just it's but here's the thing about it it's patient with itself right and i love watching an improviser who's patient with himself right i watch the i love the unfolding unfurling evolving of say a classical right. music piece here's an example though i think if memory serves like the character development was all that like coach you already like and sam and like diane everyone is like 
it, it's they're there and it's like you didn't need to figure out Kramer like Kramer in the first like season is like this like really um, off-putting like weirdo like and they haven't didn't figure out like how to make him like wonderfully eccentric you know what I mean but Michael Richards and had like a lot to do with it, Jason right? Alexander was just sort of like haughty and genuinely unlikable and not like adorably unlikable and like just an irritating hilarious curmudgeon you know so it, it, it just takes a while but didn't that same but, thing happen with um, I feel like the same thing happened with um, Carell in the office definitely well I think here's my take on that is that like they they were like they tried to stay too far in the Gervais like there's like he's because Ricky Gervais in the office the original office the BBC's really start to finish unlikable, just not like nothing particularly redeeming. And they figured out with with Carell quickly, and I think with Amy Poehler in Parks and Rec, like we can't. The American palate is not. We don't want someone that like irredeemably like off-putting. Like like so they made him like dumb and like pathetic. You know what I mean? That's how they dealt with Carell. And then they made, they quickly turned polar. Cause if you watch the first couple episodes of Parks and Rec, she's kind of like, like grating. Right. In a way that like she quickly, they grew out of that and they made her more charming and made her like ambitious and like, you know, with a like, with model, like super popular liberal heroes. Right. Like she wanted to be Hillary Clinton. And you know, now in this, you know, and this, coming arrow in this the election season like obviously she's a very popular woman and like Amy that's Poehler. a right and yeah. and Hillary Clinton right for, of course. for that matter no I agree and, and what what made me think about it was well first off knowing Carell the way that I know Carell right. and to look at him and go they're fucking not using him the right way they're just fucking not using him right. the right way and I also kept looking at thinking an asshole like that a fucking douchebag like that as much as you want to say Peter Principle if you want to call it what mm -hmm. it is you know rising to your point to the point of what, whatever that phrase is uh, getting to the point of your ridiculousness or whatever the fuck right. I looked. At, I kept looking at him going he would never have that job he right. would never have that job right. somewhere along the line a woman would come by who's his boss and go fuck that guy right we got to get someone better in there. A better, a, it's a people management job. So like you have to be, and that was something clever they did. Like he had these pockets of brilliance. Like there's an episode of the American Office, like a few deep in, like at least at late first season, maybe second season, where he goes. You discover he is an amazing salesman. Like and you see, like oh, I get it. Like he sold like a like a banshee for them for years and they you know they elevated him to manager eventually because and it's like it's funny and Carell is brilliant and the, that staff is brilliant because all the qualities that were sort of like oogie and like unattractive in him are kind of the qualities that like make a great salesman like a sort of bullheaded refusal to like accept what the person is actually saying especially if it's no not interested and like he just is was it was just is smart really smart I, like you never saw David Brent, the Ricky Gervais's character, do one thing like well, like he was everything he did. He was either embarrassing or like obnoxious, rude. You know, he never was like you never saw a side where he's like, oh, he's actually got a quality or two. You know what I mean? I got. I have to like the person that I'm watching. Right. If I don't, and, and that was my thing with Weeds is the beginning never of Weeds. Never saw it. Never saw any. Well, of it. see, the thing is, I watched the first few episodes of Weeds, and I'm like, I don't like one fucking person here. <laughs> I don't like. I don't like any of them. Right. And when you look at Breaking Bad, you go, okay, that guy's a douchebag. Wait a minute. 
Not really. Mm, right. Wait there's a, a whole. There's he a is. whole. There's a. Wait a minute. He's there's not. There's three dimensions to this thing going on. I, if you look at him in two dimensions, yeah, he's a douchebag. But like, they're showing me some more stuff, and you're getting sort of the context for his or her douchebaggery. And now it's kind of making sense. And it's like now I'm putting myself in those shoes, and I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe I would be a douchebag too, in the <laughs> if given those circumstances. Right. So it's like now I feel I'm a little empathetic. So I, you know. I, I, I'm also like as you're as you're as you're, as you're saying those things. I'm thinking about other shows mm -hmm. that match what it is that you're saying, and it goes to uh, the fucking six years I wasted watching Lost. I, I was so I literally I was furious, and there was no one to like write an angry letter to. I was like, how dare you make that last season all fake? You created people that we all cared about. You created a whole fucking family for Matthew Fox, right? Like a kid. There's a teenage kid. But at the very end, you're like, ah, that kid never existed. Did you care about him? Sorry. It's like, I was so, and, and first of all, it's such a cop out, like, you've all been dead the whole time. Fuck, fuck you. But here's, here's, uh, there's fuck you, Damon Lindelof, and whoever else had, you know, uh, you know, brilliant. The first three or four Abrams, seasons, right? I was like, give me, I, can't, I couldn't get enough. But oh, the way they wrapped it up, I was infuriating. My, my, I, uh, uh, I, my girlfriend, uh, Jen, when I was going with Jen, we lived here, and she was watching it, and she hmm. went, I'm done. I'm done. I'm like, Jen, it's season three. She goes, I'm done. I'm fucking done. This is not going to end well. And I'm like, you're wrong. <laughs> you're all you see. I know. We put way too much faith in the, that they would be able to. But she, she, I mean, people were on to something where it's like, it's just too much. It's too, like, there's no way this is going to become cohesive and make sense. Like the Dharma a initiative and like, is this some weird smoke. like government cover up? Is yeah. this a mystical island? Are they dead? Like, you know, it's no true. no one has a cell phone? Right. That was a big thing. Really? And they get one cell phone. It's like, give me, I gotta make it. Like, what the fuck? Right. And another, the, the, there's another movie that I just lost my fucking shit over a book and a movie that was just out last year, whatever the fuck it was, Gone Girl. Fuck oh, right. you. <laughs> fuck that book. Fuck that movie. Fuck that. Here's I, another I was Jacob's Ladder. Ladder. Fuck that. Jacob's movie. Ladder was maybe one of the most disturbing, like, early. Uh, uh, that movie just is so disturbing imagery-wise. Yeah, that was yeah. a long time. That was an early sort of Tim Robbins film. But, like, Adrian Lyne, horrifying, horrifying imagery. The story is so just irredeemably, like, sad and, like, pointless and, like, just And then it ends. It's like, terrible. And you go, what do you mean? Skit. What do you mean? Goes, I think that's how it ended. It just went skit. And you go, what? What just happened? That really? skit sound for anyone and everyone is being accompanied by David doing this my, thing with his hands like lights out. Claw. Like oh, hands God. closing. Skit. Is my favorite improv. It's my favorite fucking sound ever. <laughs> it's a good like, sound. It could be you, you closing a window. Right. You, it could be you uh, uh, rolling a joint. Right. John Glazer and I spent a whole summer. Uh, many years ago, John Glazer, who you probably know yeah. from Second City, and he wrote a Conan, and he's uh, oh, delocated. He replaced, he replaced, but we spent um, a he replaced Colbert, right? Yeah, uh, when we were doing the main stage show, right? He and I spent a whole summer, uh, like punctuating like any and all bits with like that little sort of like sad, like clowny, like ah, I just made a joke, didn't you? Like exactly, we thought that was that actually is a real good joke saver. Like, a, it's a bad joke it. saver because you have to put the little trumpet at the end. Well, but there's also, that, that's one part, but there's also the, the, another part of that set or subset, which is... <laughs> and then I add a... That's pretty good. Seagull sound at right. the end. So it's, uh, it's... Which is a foghorn, and then I add seagull sound. Wow. You're on the verge of becoming like a sound effects community. Like Charlie Callis or something. Do you ever feel that, and maybe you have already, do you ever feel like you're on the edge of going insane? 
Uh, most of the time, I feel like I need to claw my way back to the edge. Like, I'm, I'm fully insane, and I've got to get back to, like, teetering between sanity and insanity. Do like, you especially enjoy lately. that area, though? Uh, I mean, I guess I don't mind walking the line. When I feel like it's gone, it's been too much, or, like, I'm overwhelmed, or, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, life has gotten to me. That's when you start to, you know, or, like, you, you're, in, you're in your head about decisions, and you're like, I've, you know, that'll drive you crazy. Analyzing what's already happened is the quickest way to, like, Become insane. I, Don't me, do it. Just like me, I plow like through. To, to, a lot of what I teach is, is this. Let's be in the moment. Let's not worry about the past. Let's not worry about the future. And when an improviser takes that on and tries that mm-hmm. on the stage, right. and then I go, I dare you to take it outside. I fucking right. dare you to take to that To live outside. in the moment like that. And like, live in the moment like that. Not just when you're doing heralds. Exactly. There's nothing you can fucking do right. about whatever the right. fuck you did. Right. And all that you can do is just. That's fucking. also the same uh, approach I use uh, with the ladies at the bars, which is let's just live in the moment, man. Hey, baby. Let's not think about tomorrow no, or uh, right? yesterday. Right. And you then know. the music comes up. Because how, right? if you think about either one of those things, how are you ever going to sleep with me? Right. Exactly. So it's it, you know. Let's not even worry about it. Sleep, so it is. Right? It can be effective in real life. Um, while you're saying that, uh, two soundtracks. <laughs> you're thinking came up. you are a rogue. Two and soundtracks you... <laughs> came up as you were saying that. One was uh, so so. Do the first one, and I'll do the soundtrack one. Uh, but dude, the first one is like, come on, let's do this. We'll deal with the moment. Be in the moment. Wait, what, what am I doing? You're, you're, you're re- recreating exactly what you're saying. the thing about the bars? The bar, right, right. And I'm going to give the musical soundtrack to, to okay. two different musicals. One of the places where it does work in reality is, and it's sort of my, uh, my ethos, is at the bars with the ladies. Where, where I'm like, hey, let's not live with in, 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 in thinking about tomorrow or yesterday. Let's just be in the moment. Okay, now is the other soundtrack. Okay, good. Uh, I'll tell you a place where it does work in reality, and that's with the ladies at the bars. When gun, you're gun, out gun, trying gun. to get laid, is, you know, you gun, don't want to. You don't want to live in, in tomorrow. Dun, 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 Let's dun, not dun. live for tomorrow or yesterday. <laughs> Let's be in this present together and go to my house. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Except I don't, right, I don't, no one, there are no knives involved. Anyone who may have ultimately listened to this. Do you have friends who, uh, for me, where did you grow up? You grew up in what? what, what I grew up in a couple places. I, uh, I'm a child of divorce. Right. I grew up in, uh, very initially in Rockford, Illinois, which is about uh, 80 miles outside Freeport, of Rockford. Chicago. Exactly. I went to DeKalb. Near the w- to, Wisconsin uh, border, Forest. And I went and lived with my father in Minnesota. Uh, Crookston, Minnesota, which is way the fuck, like 80 Wait, miles from the... I'm going to make some noise. Go ahead. Crookston, Minnesota. Uh, uh, Crookston, Minnesota, about right next to Grand Forks, North Dakota, sort of perched on the North oh Dakota-Canadian God. border, way the hell up there. Right. And then my dad remarried a woman, and he, she had some kids, and it became a, uh, not a great situation. Like, there was a, a lot Hold of conflict. You. At that point, I was in seventh grade. And at the same time, I had done a play for the first time, like a little community playhouse play right. and I recognized like this seemed like might be something I want to pursue. My mother in the meantime had remarried a professor at Northwestern University and moved to Evanston, Illinois, uh-huh. which is the uh, b- big sort of cultured uh, suburb but more like a little city, a city. immediately north yeah. of of Chicago. Right. Um, and so uh, I went I moved back with her in 7th grade and uh, then went and then there lived through in, lived in Evanston. Yes, and uh-huh. then Right out of high school, moved into the city and attended Columbia College, and you know, okay, took Second City the training center classes right. and right. What's the, what year did you do the training center? Uh, Jenna Jolovitz and I were in our level Got five it. together, Got so it. I don't. You, it's right around the Scott Adsit era. I think mm-hmm. we were maybe one or two. Jim Zulovic. <laughs> Scott, Scott, uh, Scott was in. Scott was in my uh, my class. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and so I saw your show. I saw your level five show I a number of times. I, 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 I'll never that, forget that scene he did where he was the bartender and come on. he did all I the dialogue. That. that was so, it's a brilliant that. scene. I brilliant. talked about that with Adsit when he, when he did the podcast. Yeah, I talked about scene. that very fucking scene. Was, and when I think about that scene, I think about, wow, we really, we, we put, we built a set for that. Dude. Like, <laughs> no, he fucking did it with his hands at fucking yeah. face. Yeah. <laughs> How dare he be so <laughs> talented so early? How dare he? Um, so you were, but did you do a lot of theater in Chicago? I didn't. I would have done more, but I left really early. Like, uh, in terms of, like, like, I headed to L.A., like, in my early 20s. I had, was fortunate enough to have found my way into a play, an uh, equity play at the Wisdom Bridge Theater, which is no longer there, but they right. were a very sort what of well-reputed. It was called the My House Play, who, written by Wendy McLeod, who wrote House of Yes, which was a movie some Got years it, yeah. back. And she mm -hmm. wrote, she's written a bunch of stuff. She's actually... Uh, a writer of some repute. I think she came out of the like Yale screenwriting slash playwriting system. Um, but that was great fun. Clea Lewis was in it, who had a, a career of very. She's a very funny talent, uh, character actress. She was on the Ellen's sitcom yeah, for a long time. But she's, you she's, see her from time to time yeah, in little yeah, yeah. funny no, character I'm, roles. But here's another thing about that: is like these names that are popping up, going, "Oh, I know Clea." Right, of course you do. I'm, you know, I'm right. not, not going to name someone you don't know. I'm but, sure, like, but here's have, the, yeah, right, right, right. It's not that big a community at the and end yet, of the day. And yet, at the same time, you wonder. Uh, I think, oh, I, I just see her all the time. I don't see her all the time. Right. But then again, I'm, and I'm not going to see her in Australia. Right. No, I'm not going to see her. Probably not, or in Berlin. Either. Maybe yeah, in Berlin. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I oh, actually anyway, don't know where she is at this point. Maybe move back to East. My God. Yeah, yeah. But she was really fun, and this is, you know, we're in our early 20s at this point, and, like, you can see that, like, talent is just shooting out of her, and, like, it was a really fun play, and Ron Dean was in it. Mm -hmm. uh, very, Dean. very sort of seasoned. Right. Like, there's not, not a movie or TV show got shot in Chicago for 30 years where that man did not play a cop. Right. Like, in, in some, or a bad guy, but usually a cop. Who was the guy that was a Chicago actor that was actually a cop killer in the, when he was younger? I think that might have been him. I think it was him. Told stories that he was in jail for murder. Yeah. And like at that point, I was like, is this guy just a, like a bullshitter? Or like, is this he some sort of like acting murder. exercise he he's doing? You don't really. <laughs> he killed the cop. And I wonder if cops are cops. like, I know, I'm not really in love with this guy playing cops now. It seems like an unfair reward. <laughs> like, like did, I don't know if we should be rewarding this guy with anything. But, but, but like, I don't know the circumstances. Maybe, you know, it was, first of all, maybe he was like. 15. Maybe he's like he Morgan was. Freeman in Shawshank where it's like he tells the story of it and you're like, oh, okay. So he is, he feels the pain of it. He, you know, but you know, maybe. Like, I think he was and that's why he got out. Right. Because it was a juvie thing. Right. I think as a juvie, he, he did right. it and he got out. It's so weird. Juvie. I did a play with him like literally 30 years ago, but I'm now just learning this shit from yeah. you. That's hilarious. Yeah. Not quite that old. I'm dating myself. I'm more like 25 people. 25 years ago. <laughs> But damn, I've been oh. here a long time, that's for sure. You like have Blossom been. is is having its 25th anniversary apparently this year. Are that blows that? my mind. Well, we were going to we were supposed to do like me and Jenna and Joey and Maya, and we're going to do Good Morning America or something, but Maya is a very busy and very popular and very successful person uh, again at the moment and right. like God bless her, very very funny. She's got what I like to call the Lilith role mm -hmm. on uh, Big Bang Theory, right. like you know what I mean? It's like that to me is very but she's great at it. She's really funny. And, like, you know, I'm so glad for her. You know what? That's the best fucking thing to look at somebody. And she's a great person on top of it all. And that's what I'm talking about. To look at somebody and go, I'm so glad for her. I'm right. so fucking glad for her. Can, and this is a rhetorical question, but can, do you dare to be glad for somebody that has done fucking great work instead of saying, which is what so many young people mm -hmm. do, coming into it, going, where the fuck is mine? Because the where I'm the more fuck glad for us if someone who I don't know as a person has done great work, or they've given us great work. But, you know, yeah, I'm really, truly glad 
and, and grateful for a person if I know them to be like a, a really good soul, a good egg, a, like a, a, a good spirit. So absolutely. But absolutely. if you if you are talented and you know also a dick, you know I'm thanks for giving us great performances. But I'm not you know, and I think that's a big key in this town. Like there's so many talented people, so many talented people, and like one of the keys to longevity is what kind of person you are. Like George Clooney, I know him just a tiny bit. We did like a TV movie together a million years ago. But like this is, George Clooney is a really great human being on a bunch of levels. And one of them is like, he is so socially adept. Like he, I would see him in the oven like after ER and like he was becoming a giant star and then he was a giant star. And like he'd see me across the room and I'd be like, oh, I'll have to go up and introduce myself and remind me. He's like, hey, Michael, how are you? Last time we talked, you were having trouble with your knee. Like, you know, how's your mom? I remember she, and it's like, you are amazing, sir. You, I barely, like, I remember one time specifically, I was out at dinner, and this was very early in his career, and you'll see in a minute when I tell the story. Like, uh, I see him at a table, and we'd already done this TV movie. And I was like, hey, buddy, it's good to see you, George. Uh, hey, congratulations on uh, Chicago Hope. And he was like, he was like, it's ER. And I was like, well, I'm no you, sir, obviously. Like, I got your fucking show wrong. Like, you're George Clooney. You remember everything about me. I can't even remember that you're on ER, not Chicago Hope. And it was like season one, those two, there were like competing hospital dramas that came out the same year, Mandy yeah. Patinkin and a couple other people on Chicago Hope, and George Clooney and like all those other people uh, on, uh, you know, what's his name, Anthony Edwards on ER. And like, yeah, it was, it was confusing. But he was so, uh, as always, delightful and charming and just like, without any malice at all, politely informed me uh, he was actually on ER, not Chicago <laughs> Hope. But I quickly excused myself from, I was like, oh, and your bread's here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you and your lovely date. Enjoy your dinner. Goddamn, I'm embarrassed. It's getting stale. Exactly. Um, I'm going to go. I see you. Your salt's gone flavorless now. As is this company. Uh, I don't know that I know who you are unless you're a Republican running that I'm going to bitch about. Right, right. Or you're Which a gun you do owner. Uh, or you're very shot. adeptly, by the way. Oh, I just love kindred it spirits. so much. I and love that, it so much. I mean, I don't know how they like create the same so joyously entertaining shit show every, like four years ago, it's like, well, it'll never be like that again. They'll figure out that that is a freaking disaster. They're doing the exact same thing this year, and it's freaking delightful. You know it what I mean? It is delightful, and, but you're absolutely right. And, and in that, you're saying that, I got to remember that. Because instead I go, it's the end of the world. It's not the end of the fucking world. It's it? only the end of the world if any of these, these people have a, a, a remote chance of becoming president. And so far they don't because they, they're just so busy shooting each other in the foot. Like, it, is a, it is a circular. It's like a circle jerk of like shotguns being pointed at, at people's feet. And they're just, like there's no, I mean, people are starting to fret about Donald Trump. He has no chance. There's no chance. He, I don't even think he has a chance to win the nomination. And he certainly has no chance to win a general election. It's absurd. Like, you know, I hope to God he either does win the nomination or he feels slighted and he pulls a Perot and runs as a third party because then he's virtually ensuring that, you know, whoever emerges on the left is going to win, you know. Oh, oh. And that makes me breathe. Yeah, exactly. Um, what mean, do you think? You think Biden's getting in? Joe Biden's going to get in. No, no. Yeah, Everyone's get in. talking I, about it right now because, okay. like, Hillary's slipping. Somebody and else like, has got to get in because it just can't be. I mean, that would just be an amazing. Like, right now, say it's four people right, right. now. Right. 
But I mean, are you counting what O'Malley and like O'Malley? You know, I mean, those, and, these are, do they really count? Like, but they, that's the whole thing. Not going to make any news or noise at all. Yeah, have they come in and no, they have. The guy Webb, Jim Webb. Are we Jim, counting I him? Like he, he, I mean, he's about to drop out, isn't he? He's got to be. He's got to be. There's this. Sh- there's and you know what it is. You're saying it's, we need someone between Hillary. No, I'm not saying we need anybody. Bernie, I just think it'd be like just sort of right. I'd just be interesting to have just two people running the right. Democratic Party. Um, uh, yes, that that. I read a book. I read a book um, called uh, "The Rise and uh, Last Call: The Rise and Fall of Prohibition." Mm-hmm. It was a great book. It was made into that. It was part of the when Ken Burns. did Oh, I love that. I love his documentary. Fucking that three-part documentary is great. Documentary's great. Um, reading the book, what you realize is, oh, everybody at that point thought it was the end of the world because everything was fucking happening. It's right. Not the fucking end of the world. Everything that happened in that is exactly what it is that's happening now. It wasn't the end of the world then. It's not going to be the end of the world. Right. Now. That's what it is. Right. And. And I don't know you. Well, also, like it's terrifying if you're a person of the left. If you believe yourself, you think of yourself as a described what society would describe you as progressive or liberal or whatever. When you watch and you listen to the rhetoric and the things that the the people on the right have to say, like out loud to all of us to get their nomination, we're like, oh, if this person becomes president, it is the end of the world. But you realize if that ever comes to pass again, personally think, you know, the more purple you know, that Texas gets, the less likely it becomes that we will ever see another Republican president. But I mean, once when you realize that they, when they do become president, they will move, you know what I mean? It won't be that bad. They're not going to like, you know, like, like abolish the Department of Education or the Department of Energy or like, it's not possible. My thing is possible. if they, what happens is they nominate. Just like Supreme. we're, no but one's, no one's going to come and like take your guns or no one, like the right. crazy things they believe about, like if the left right. gets power, you know, we're going to be, you know, we're, we're, we're going to make, you know, homeless people millionaires and we're going to like, we're going to behead the actual millionaires. It's like, no, that's not going to happen. Like based on what? That's crazy. <laughs> You know, and, and I think is, we get we get crazy about like our our boogeymen too, our our like conservative ideals that like terrify us, and it's like like what that, like, that, what? like the, abolishing all these like getting rid of the income tax and right. like you know like becoming a pure libertarian state where like you know and like or just like like letting people like like not helping the indigent or the like sick or like just let them you know like if you uh, don't have insurance and you like. Uh, Get hit by a bus, and you—we are just—we should just let you die. Like that's never going to be an actual policy Ooh. that gains any footing. Right. But like they have to make sounds like that's what you know. You remember that moment in Ron Paul, in <clears throat> his run four years ago, where they were doing a debate. Oh, the glorious debates from four years ago. Oh my God. And uh, and like, they're getting questioned about that very thing. Like, let's say you're a young man in your 30s, and you get your your hit, your your in your find yourself in a coma, but you don't have insurance. What should we do with that person? And you hear the audience like start to grumble, and you hear someone go, "Let him die." And it's like Ron Paul is like squirming because he's like, you know, he is the the sort of de facto libertarian leader of the country, and he's like, I can't say that. Like, I gotta. But like these people really are some of them like the most sort of militant of the libertarians. That's what they're expecting me to say. Like, yeah. That person, too bad. You know, he he gambled and he lost. He doesn't have insurance. He can't pay for it. Well, you got to pull the plug. It's like no one. He's. Not, it's it all was, red meat. It's right, all fucking exactly. red meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that that their whole like. 
they must have just, I mean, there must be, you know that there's smart people everywhere and they, they have, but like, when they're, like when they're like, when they're, when they're watching a debate and like, it's like, Governor Perry, you're, you are uh, the governor of Texas and you presided over a record 230 executions. Big applause from the audience. You know that the like, the smart, the flower, the Frank Luntz, Frank Luntz of the yeah, world yeah, that, are just like, Jesus Christ, our people. Yep. Do they have to? This this helps us not at all. Like to have them to, applaud about 250 executions. That that's a real turnoff I, I to like wanna, a I big. Add, add who Frank Luntz is. He's sort of the Goebbels. Right. Of, he's the Goebbels of <laughs> right. the Republic. I'm sure he would prefer strategist right, to exactly. sort of the Goebbels. But I mean, <laughs> exactly. just to say who that guy right, is. Right. Exactly. Yeah. He's a no. Republican strategist and sort of like. Yeah, so. and it's like, can't we wash this? Can't we wash this? That's why Eric right. Erickson. Uh -huh. What Eric Erickson Ugh, saying Terrible person. In regards, another fucking terrible person. Well, he's in. The, he's much more in the what's his name Breitbart like sort the of Breitbart. vein like where it's like yellow journalism and like made up stuff like yep. to, like to scare like red meat like fake red meat for, yep. for the... and, but that's what gets me about these shitty satire sites uh -huh. like news slow and, and mm -hmm. all these other shitty satire sites they don't they don't and well, I mean, as a writer you know satire very well mm. they don't break it right they just fucking bend it right and if you bend it it's gonna fucking break right the concept you has to break right exactly and and the onion breaks it but if you're right. using 85 percent of fact and then just throw in a weird fucking thing at uh -huh. the end where he goes and then he danced with the devil <laughs> it's like you know i'm going uh-uh no right and and we all need to be curiouser we have right. to be more skeptical I, I have a degree in photojournalism um, i have a degree in journalism photojournalism mm -hmm. so for me it's always fucking be skeptical mm -hmm. check it out we right. live in a time right now where you can look at that and we can go what is true what is not true right what yeah. is fact and what is not fact right i think they do benefit from like skewing it and like not even but it they don't even i don't even know where i'm going with this but it's like I have arguments with people on the other side about like Fox News versus MSNBC because they want to equivocate. Oh, MSNBC is like, no, they're not. Like Rachel Maddow, they present you facts and then they will, yes, editorialize from a liberal standpoint, but they start, they give you the fucking facts first. They start from a fact-based part and then they're like, here's my progressive take on this. Here's what. Fox News just makes shit up. They make and shit up. And it's like, you know, look, you know, look, Acorn, they're, 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 you know, and it's like, no, you have a charlatan in there who faked some bullshit video. This is not real. Yep. Acorn didn't really do this. Acorn was a... You know, a, and a, here's a story on MSNBC, MSNBC breaking that down. How, like, look, James O'Keefe, I think that's his yeah, name. Yeah, He's a freaking liar. And right. this thing is edited. And, like, Sean Hannity knew it. And Sean Hannity's people even edited it some more to, like, make it look like this. But this is not a real thing. That's you know here's the here's the facts and here's my liberal take on it like they are faking it to to scare people but it, and, and that's to, the whole thing at the basis of all this is fear mm -hmm. it's fear and I just had you know I, I, right now uh, Laura was like wanting to have a conversation with me I'm like mm -hmm. no you can't I'm having a conversation with uh, this libertarian fucking <laughs> call yourself a fucking Republican douchebag <laughs> I'm a libertarian I can't talk to you right now right because I'm having this conversation right. with this Utah guy who's like right. you know telling me about and Carson, Dr. Carson, and oh. fucking, you know, how he, and I'm like, fuck that douchebag. And my friend, like, do you know Daryl Warren? 
from Chicago. That sounds familiar. Darren Warren, an actor in Chicago. Just about, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Uh, but the fear thing is what gets me. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bring it a it's little bit It's a great way around. to control people. Like, you know what but I mean? It's also, but it's also it's not a, way a great way, but it is a way to control It's the way that we also control people. ourselves. Right. And, and to say, like, okay, looking at, an, uh, I'm gonna, looking at what it is that I do for a living. Mm -hmm. How I pay rent on this place and hopefully pay some of my bills off right. and that kind of shit. Um, and how you do it too is if we were so fucking fear-based, we wouldn't be doing what it is that we're it's doing true. right now. And at the, at the basis of all that is to say, we're, out, we're alive to take the fucking chances. And we've got, and I want, I need to be curious. Right. I need to be informed. I need to know the difference between your fact and your truth. Right. A fact and your truth. Right. You, you know, you, your truth is your truth. A fact is something different. Right. You know, and, and here's the thing. Nobody ever says two and two is four. Isn't that sad? Like, <laughs> we don't do that. You know what I mean? Right. A fact is a fact and truth is a truth. Right. And that's it. Right. And, and what's that very popular political sort of maxim about you're allowed to have your own opinions. You are not allowed to have your own facts. Right. And, and, and who the fuck said that? Um, it that, goes back. It must go back a ways. Like it does this. go back a ways, and it, and it goes. It, it, I think it goes back to the fifties. Mm -hmm. Yeah, who the fuck said that? Somebody's now shouting like at the radio. Stevenson um, or Adelaide Stevenson or it was somewhere. It was so somewhere you think it was someone on the line. left? It was somewhere along the line. I don't think it was Everett Dirksen, but it was right, 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 right. Everett okay. Dirksen. Oh, that for <laughs> you, a name. You win. Everett Dirksen. You win fifties political uh, oh, name I, drops. I think it was Illinois. For a Everett Dirksen was, I think, in Illinois. Right. Uh, I thought Illinois. Stevenson was too. Wasn't he from Adley Wisconsin? Stevenson or? was too. Yeah. Adley Stevenson right. was. Uh, and uh, uh, Stevenson was the guy who went and faced off with the Russians at the UN during the crisis, the missile crisis, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He was the one. Like, I'm prepared to wait. I'm prepared to wait till the end of time. Yep. Your aunt, that he, they're right, that exchange. And he had... Yeah. Uh, and, and he ran for president unsuccessfully. At, but he, the famous picture of him was sitting there running for president, uh, and they took a photograph of his shoe and had a hole in the bottom of it, <laughs> uh, and that, that's what it was. But it's all these things, and again, going back to this, going, I love that kind of stuff. Uh -huh. I'm going to be curious about it. Right. I'm going to fucking discover it, because we live in a time right now where I could go... Uh, you know, well, you were in that show, Car 54, Where Are You? Oh, that was the guy who was I, in I, that for the, for the record, I was not in Car 54, I know, Where right, Are You? I, right, I don't know what right. David's talking about at the moment, but, <laughs> but you were let's, show, let's follow this and see where he, he ends up. Yeah, but to go, oh, the guy from Car 54 was the guy from The Monsters. Right, right. You know, who, by Gwyn, the way, Fred was Gwyn. an un, you know, Fred Gwynn, sure. unbelievable, great actor. Right. And there's another one where you go, Granny from the... Beverly Hillbillies, Irene, Irene Ryan, Ryan right. was another fucking great actor. Right. And there's an award named after her that gives people, right. actors, uh, scholarships. This was back in the days when they'd still go to New York and like find stage actors and like, you know, I guess they still do that, but I no, mean. No, they do, but I, I'm, I'm on the, it's the, uh, the Kennedy, the, 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 the uh, Kennedy, uh, what's it called? Uh, Kennedy Center it's, it's Kennedy Memorial. Committee, but it's like that, that yeah, okay. thing where I go and I will judge actors and mm -hmm. performance. Uh, how the fuck did I become that guy? Right, uh, nice. But it's that. Right. Are it's always act? nice to, to judge acting? people. Are you still acting? I am. Mm -hmm. I am. Oh, you're in a show now, right? Uh, no. The, la the last thing I did of any real repute was I had a really was fortunate, again, enough to end up with Sam Pancake, who we mentioned Ugh. at the very outset. And Jack Plotnick and a bunch of other people. We did. We developed a stage show for the HBO Workspace a long time ago called uh, Space God, Station Seventy Six. HBO Workspace. I just want to go back to that. Yeah. And what a great fucking that was. Place I, that was. Why is there? Why is it not exist anymore? <laughs> it must have been so cheap to like you know 
keep up and run. It's like they had a little modest theater space, and then they'd put like the developing comedy, sketch comedy, you know, little one acts, things like that. Well, that's my, my big fat Greek wedding. <clears throat> Is that where that started? That they well, like that workshopped somewhere, it? and then it was workshop the shit. And Nia workshop right. the shit. Well, like out that Mr. Show, they workshopped a ton of their stuff at the HBO workshop. And you wrote on like, that. I did very briefly, and mm -hmm. I didn't really have the kind of impact. I would like to have it was a, a profoundly exciting experience amazing of course thing. but i didn't show. i personally like when you if you ask me about things i've done as a writer i'm usually loath to mention it because i don't feel like i did one cycle you get hired in 13 week cycles as a writer in hollywood and i did one cycle and i didn't really have a lot of uh, uh material end up on the show that season so um uh, it's not something that, that comes i'm very i'm proud of everything i've done and like right. i was really uh, honored to have even been asked to be on that staff but uh, I ended up going off and doing something else, and like I didn't, I didn't really contribute in a really, really meaningful manner. Because you weren't ready then, though. Yeah, I guess not. I also was, you know, uh, 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 I don't, I don't really conform as a writer to. Like I wrote on Mad TV as well, and that was How a difficult did job. Did you have that? More than Mad TV was also one season, uh -huh. and that was a difficult job because it's like that is you're basically refilling. You know, you're writing scenes for characters that have already been created, and like it wasn't quite the sort of style of comedy that uh, I really thought of myself as excelling it was, it was at. Broader. And, uh, it was a difficult job, right? But again, a rewarding job, and uh, everyone around me was so talented. I think Hollywood is maligned a lot for its like its lack of talent or its sort of like you know two dimensional two dimensionality. But when you find yourself on anything, any given project in this town, you're almost always blown away by how fucking talented everyone around you is and like it's funny and you and you might not see it in a show like my like the show a blossom for example like that was really geared towards 12 year olds so if you're like 24 and like a hip big city liberal like doing your hip thing and having your like macchiato in the morning and like Do doing you your, your do comedy your your sophisticated comedy bits with your comedy friends all day you might not look at an episode of blossom and see much talent there because it's not your thing it's it's sort of built for a different demographic but make no mistake Everyone involved with that show and just about every other show I've ever been on, looked at, touched, or otherwise been affected by is just chock full of like people with unbelievable abilities. And if you spend time with them, you recognize almost immediately like, wow, this is a talented person. And they are one of the reasons you know that is you're like, this person is talented enough to conform to something that's made is out of their wheelhouse. You know what I mean? Like I guess you could say that, that my job on Blossom was out of my wheelhouse. At that point, I was a hip, macchiato-drinking, 24-year-old, big city, like, and I wanted to be on Kids in the Hall, you know what I mean? But, you know, I, I was given a job on a sitcom on NBC in the 90s when there was only, you know, it wasn't like Amazon and my dry cleaner were making shows back then. It was NBC <laughs> and, like, two other networks were making TV shows. So, like, you want to be on a show? It's like, it's kind of going to be a kid's show and a little bit, maybe a little too dimensional. Like, yes, I do want to be on a show. You know why? Because I've been on a grand total of, like, one and a half shows at this point. So, yeah, I want to be on your show. Fuck yeah. So, like, you know, I did it. And you it don't wasn't... judge it, but you yeah, don't exactly. judge exactly. it. And the big thing there is, I think so many people coming to L.A have an expectation right. of what it's I think you do be. judge it when you're younger but then you get a little older and you're like you know what I shouldn't have judged it and I'm done judging it like to and, me but you've got to go through that yeah. you, you evolve through the judging because I remember my first commercial audition in Chicago was for McDonald's and at that time I was a vegetarian right. and I said I have an audition for McDonald's and I'm not going to do it my dad says take their fucking money take their fucking you're money you're not you are not going to be responsible for one extra person shoving one extra hamburger in their face no. so like don't <laughs> worry you're not going to be like what have I done I've doomed a million 
extra cows to a horrible death. It's or like, you have not, sir. Carlos has <laughs> Exactly. Stroke. And what, did I, what did I get out of it? Three years of rent, a car, a trip around the world. I got to go to that, take that class of cooking at the Discovery Center. <laughs> exactly. You know what? I guess I got a lot of good shit out of it. And, and that's really the whole thing, too. Like, all that stuff. I remember doing, like, how many dog and pony shows have we fucking done? You know? And then at the same time, you don't remember the dog and pony, or maybe you do remember the dog and pony show, but what you also remember is the fact that I bought that 1992 Honda Civic cash, <laughs> exactly. motherfucker, cash in 1992. You know what that's and, like? I was like one of the richest people I knew. I right. was paying cash for cars. Right. That's the kind of guy I am. That's the kind of guy I am. And then you look and you go, this is what's happening from now on. <laughs> My life is going to be that. And yeah. how many people do you know, how many people do you know that made that choice and you're like, oh, dude, what do you... What like, to, you based buy? on some sort of principle, they, like, turn something down or, like... No, no, no. What they did was they got, they got a sitcom uh -huh. and then they bought a palatial estate. <laughs> right, right. Or, like, you just get a pilot. Oh, and then you spend God. all your pilot money and then it's like, it's like, you know, it's like, oh, it didn't go... And then you're yelling at your agent, why didn't someone tell me that some pilots don't go? It's like, oh, yeah, someone should have told you that, like, 98% of pilots don't go. He's like, well, I spent all the money. It's like, well, you shouldn't have done that. You don't worry, you're not the first person to have done it. But, like, you shouldn't have done that. Why did you do that? It's like... And in my mind, as you're talking about that, I see the person talking on the phone in an empty huge fucking mansion overlooking the Palisades. No furniture. There's no fucking furniture. <laughs> furniture so was going to be, season one Sid, was going right? to be the furniture. Right, right. Exactly. Sid, what are you doing? But right, was, right. Andy Patinkin was on the show. Another, like, another thing is like the, like the Hollywood uh, 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 mindset of like, how could it not go? Everyone involved with the production was like, this is going to be a massive hit. It's like, yes, everyone involved with every production says that. It's like, it's sort of that esprit de corps, rah, rah, let's go us. Like, you can't go into it like, oh, I don't know, this one might be a stinker. It's like everyone involved in a, a creative endeavor, you have to believe, you know, or at least outwardly present that, like, yeah, this is going to be great. You well, know what imagine I mean? going back to this, the guys so of in course Seinfeld. You're, of course. All those people in Seinfeld must right. have known, like, I don't know what this is. I fucking don't know what this is. Right. And the show is literally saying to everyone, it's based on nothing. Right, right. And you go into it. But what you're also doing is that... The network is very fucking patient with that show. Yeah, and luckily. And they also, right. I think, again, because it's like Seinfeld was so, he was so entertaining as a stand-up comedian. And they were like, we just want to be, and that's actually a line from the show in season three when they're courting him to be, but they're like, we want to be in the Jerry Seinfeld business. Like, you are, you are tailor-made to build a massive sitcom around. And we are, gonna, we are not just going to give up you know, like we should have with Taya Leone. And I hate to throw her under the bus, but why on earth? She got like a seven, she had a show at one point in that era where it's like, well, she's like a hip journalist. Wait, no, now she's a race car driver. You know what? The show is still good. Let's keep everyone, but let's set it in space. Like they, like, they would just kept trying. Maybe this isn't going to work. Like it took them forever. Like, so that was like maybe the one example where they shouldn't have like given it so many chances and tried so hard. You who I really like. And you go, yeah, she's what great. What happened? Yeah, I don't, well, she's she's happening now. She got to covenied, I guess. Isn't but that? Wasn't she married? She got to covenied, but isn't she? But she's in a show now, isn't she? Where she yeah, plays she's the, she plays the Secretary of State, doesn't right, she? Right, yeah, right. She plays an ambassador. It's not House of Cards. That's somebody else. No, it's called Madam Secretary, I believe. Yes. It's, yes. I, I've not seen it. I hope it's wonderful. I do too. I hope God they're bless. doing great work there. Oh, God bless. It looks a little. Mm, not to me. Be, yeah, I'm not gonna be watching. Like, what's the movie where Glenn Close is the is the vice president, and she, but she's wearing like she's got this like her 
blouse is like unbuttoned like two buttons too far for the vice president in my mind. But it's like, it's very distracting and it's like, I don't, I, it just, when you see like an unrealistic portrayal, especially like well, now that like, to me the West Wing was like so delightful. It was like, because it, you kind of felt, and I don't know, I'm not a political operative, I'm not in that world, but it really felt like, wow, this seems like accurate as to what it might actually be like it, to and, be and in, in the that. executive branch, to be like in the Oval Office or in the West Wing and like trying to create policy and like working with Congress. Like it really seemed, and they, you know, to what's his name, Sorkin's credit, Larry Lawrence O'Donnell, yes. who is a, obviously was a political operative. Right. He was one of the producers of the show and I think he had other people like that on his show who were like basically experts in the reality of it and who would be like, here's, here's what it would be like if they had a troubled or a troubling bit of legislation that they really wanted, here's what the, the White House would do, right. typically, in my experience, to try and get to curry favor to get this to happen. And then so it, it plays out real. And like my point was in that, after you've seen something like that, when you see something where it's like hokey or like, it's just like, come on. Right. You know, like the, like but the, it's based the portrayal of like the executive branch in like 24, for example. God bless, it's an entertaining show. People love it, super, super agent. Keeper Sutherland, like, saving the day time after time. Fine. But, like, it's just seemed, it's like, really, this is the president. The president is walking alone through a parking lot right now with just his one buddy. Like, first, that just would never happen. Like, make it, you know what I mean? There's always a cadre of, like, there's, exactly. you got to, if you're going to cast a president, you need to know we need, we're going to need 80 extras every day, every scene he's in. He's got to be literally, like, a phalanx of just people everywhere, like, associates and, like, staff and, like, security and, like, more. Security. Do you and remember when 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 when, when uh, Obama left the White House and then went to the park across the street and there were a bunch of people just walking around and he just was like talking to people uh -huh. walking around. I really wanted. So it's a, you're it's watching a baller him. Move, by the way. What's that? It's a baller move. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 You know, it's like an every. It's like I need to look like an everyman. That's just smart. It's really. And smart. I swear to God, he got that from like West Wing. Like, there's an episode of West Wing where Sheen does like essentially the same thing. Where you walk out and it's like and and people are walking around going. What? What? <laughs> what the fuck is happening right, right now? Right. Um, uh, but you were cleared at an invisible perimeter you don't even know anything about. That's why it appears that the president is just walking around in a park with right. you. Right. Like, you don't realize. You and that's are, what I wanted. Like, pull back right. to really see right. what the fuck this looked like. Exactly. Because it was a parameter. And you got a right. bunch of guys who were, like, in this uh, invisible rectangle. Right. And they're all and around like, you know, manholes for a mile around have been welded shut. You know, like, <laughs> exactly. like there's no, it looks like he's just, wow, the president's wandering around Washington, D.C. <laughs> he is not, sir. He most certainly is, he is not. <laughs> a friend of mine worked on West Wing. Uh, she was the set dresser, and uh, we went to the set. Warner Brothers. We went to the set, and I've been to I've been to Washington D.C. I've never been to the, I don't think I've ever no I've never been to the White House. Mm. Um, but I when I look back on what on the set, mm -hmm. I feel like oh maybe I was in Washington because it looked that realistic. Right. And what you're going back to what you were saying of how these people would interact with each other, Michael, it's, it's fact-based. Right. And then, so right. it's not like, I wonder what They start like. from a place, they have someone like Lawrence O'Donnell, probably several Lawrence O'Donnells, and then, so they can start from a place of like, here's the reality of it, now let's dramatize it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Know your shit and then fuck with it. Right. I be like that. curious. I like and, that. Yeah, but it's like be fucking curious. Find out what. This is stuff you should be saying in class. Do you say things like that? I in do. Class? I say okay, that, all right, I say good. That in class. Oh no, no, no! I'm fucking high horse and I'm fast. But that's not even high saying. horse. That's just like that's just solid. That's solid, solid, like homespun, 
Like, that's just wisdom oh, for it, life and for improv and for anything else. And I'm going to look at you and I'm going to go, oh, you're bullshitting right now. You're fucking right. bullshitting me. You have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. And here's the thing. I'm going to make it okay for you to say, yeah, you're right. Right. Yeah. Because I'm not attacking you. The scene is always going to work out better if, like, you do some version of, God, you know what, I really don't know about that. Rather than, oh, this is a, you know, when you pretend to suddenly you're, like, a guy who knows something that you don't know. You're going to get into trouble in improv and in the world if, like, it's not going to be too long before that's exposed. And, and, it's and, like, it, and nobody wants to have to do this. Nobody wants to have to do this. Like, I, I believe what I'm saying. I believe what I'm saying. And then something comes up in that moment where uh -huh. it's like that throws you off. And then you're not going to surrender to the new thing. Right. And so what you then have to do, and I've mentioned this before, is you have to pretend to feel the feeling you were feeling prior to feeling the new feeling that you're feeling. And that's fucking bullshitting. And it's your fucking uh -huh. brain, which is a liar right. and an asshole, and wants to fucking throw you off instead of just going... Hey, brother, surrender. Uh, that Let was totally go. brilliant, what you just said. I just yeah. gotta say, I feel like I just got some free, some free stuff there. It's all free. It's all free. <laughs> the you. podcast costs nothing. Thank you. Uh, but it is in that moment to go, okay, what is it we're gonna do? Now, what, now the decisions that you've made in your life, mm -hmm. in terms of where it is that you are just looking at the time, we're doing mm -hmm. great. But uh, 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 to say, like, those moments where you go, this doesn't serve me anymore. Right, right. I was married for 14 years, and one day I went, oh, this doesn't serve me anymore. Right. You know, being the artistic director of Second City in L.A. for 10 years going, this fucking doesn't serve me anymore. Huh. I didn't even know that. So yeah. you were with Tom Green, right? He, were, he taught oh, yeah, there. Yeah, Tom Green Love was Tom great. Green. You know, yeah, Tom great guy. Green. Went well, to high school who? with him, go way back to like eighth grade with Francis that kid. Francis Collier got Wonderful me the guy. job. I don't even, I don't, I don't barely know her. I only know her through Tom, but you know, I'm Facebook friends, lovely person. Lovely she person. She posts and, very uh, good stuff. When Martin DeMont died, I Very sad. He was my first. Our level one teacher was Martin Demott. Uh, he, he was great. Some people that sow seeds that just keep growing yeah. and growing and growing and growing. You know, that just keep keep blossoming. He was one of those who, like everyone he touched, they were like, "This is someone special," and this person has really given me gifts in the form of wisdom and in, in just like life management and like you know helping me to be a better actor slash improviser. A human. Martin was exactly. really all about that. And I go back to what you were saying about the people that you work with, where you go. These people are fucking talented people. What, mm. what they're also, what they also are, is empathetic. They're connected. Right. right. Um, they're real. They're authentic. They're human. They're 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 grateful. Mm -hmm. um, they're present. Yeah. Like all those things, where you look at somebody and go, "Oh, this is just a real fucking person." Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's a major thing where you look at people coming here to LA or you know coming to LA. We'll a lot of the LA. qualities you just named. You, there, you gotta like my advice would be like hold on to those dearly when you get here, or if you or if let's say you want to go to New York and try and do this, like either place where you're going to try and like entertain the world, hold on to those qualities because they will they will they will de de life itself, time and this particular industry will, will try and tear them away from you. So like hold on to your empathy, hold on to your sense of presence. Like you know these are the things that will carry you through. So have you do you know Jackie Hoffman? I did know her. Yeah. So I just so Jackie was um, one of the most bitter human beings I've ever met in my entire life. Uh, dear, dear friend, still is humorously so though. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Like she turned it as part of her comedic persona was this sort of bitterness. Really? And now she's of course a Broadway actress. Right. And Laura and I went to see her in On the Town a few months ago on mm -hmm. Broadway, and uh, she's changed. She's now changed. Is Jackie she like is a warm? Still bitter. Right. But what she's also done is she's not bitter. She's realistic and she's got a sharp edge. Right. But what she also did was she, we met her at the stage door after mm -hmm. the show. And by the way, she was fucking phenomenal. Right. I'm and sure she's always her. very, very, very oh my God, to see entertaining. Your friend, and talented. Do you, any, do you have any Broadway 
Broadway actor friends? Uh, uh, I do not. I maybe uh, like peripherally. But but to see somebody who's your friend uh-huh. on Broadway in a Broadway show, mm-hmm. and then have the stage door, and then she takes us all throughout everybody. Mm-hmm. That's the, really cool. The, the like a little tour where she's of the... like, these people do a fucking great uh-huh. job. Thank you so much. Right. Watch Jack Gill. Oh my God, you're grateful for everybody. Right. And it's like yeah. this, this guy. Look at the look at the way he does this wig. He does all the wigs. I right. love you, and it's okay. Right. That's it. So any bitterness that you had was basically your fear of not being accepted, but Jackie Hoffman right, would exactly. always be motherfucking Jackie And that's what we love about her. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel blessed in what the fuck we've done and where Definitely. we are. That I will say, I mentioned earlier that I had went and lived in Italy with a girl for a year, and basically at that point, my career had slowed down, and like it felt like, well, it looks like all right. I'm pulling away. I'm saying goodbye to the career, maybe at least for a while. And like you know, so I so wasn't. How long ago was this? Uh, 2007, 2008. Okay, okay. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, so I live in uh, Europe. Doesn't work out. Lovely girl. Just uh, a little bit, okay. a little bit. But uh, again, I, you know, once you, it's been years, and now it's, so it's gone. But when I was there, that's the kind of town where like everything's in Italian. You hear Italian all day long. That immersion is amazing. Like you couple that with like even a rudimentary class, and like your ability t- takes off. Um, but anyway, I get back and like I don't know what I'm doing. I'm kicking around. You come back to yeah, LA. yeah, exactly. I come back to Chicago actually. Uh-huh. But then I end up back in LA and. Uh, uh, I'm not really, I'm sort of, I let my, my agent, my old agent know, I'm back here if anything happens, if anything comes my way. I don't really, I don't, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to spend money on new headshots. I'm like not really an actor anymore. It doesn't feel like, I'm just sort of looking for what to do. And then I end up like with this like day player audition for CSI, like this tiny little part. And I go in, it feels good. The audition felt good. And I was like, start, you, immediately the fire starts to get stoked again. I was like, that was, that was fun. And maybe there's some meaning there. And I end up getting the part and, uh, a couple days later, I go to wardrobe, a wardrobe uh, meeting where they are going to put whatever they're going to put on you for the next for next week or whenever. And uh, it's at Universal, and I'm walking around Universal, and I just it hits me. I was like, you know what? This for this is what I was meant to do. This is really the thing I do best in the world. And like, I left it, but I'm so grateful. And like, the idea that someone wants to like give me money to continue to play make believe, like. I just, and I suddenly, I also, like, at the same time being grateful to realize, like, well, you know what, I'm going to try this again, and I'm going to do this, this is what I do. I was also like, and you know what, fuck, like, haughty auteur types who are like, I won't do this, I won't do that. It's like, you should shut up and, and, and do whatever comes your way. Because if someone is willing, is wanting to give you, to, to do this, to be an actor, you know, 200 years ago, we were at the bottom of the societal ladder. We were eating, you could have been the best fucking actor in the world. You were still probably getting your dinner out of a garbage can, okay? So like, you could have a golden voice. You could have been Enrico Caruso. You were still probably turning tricks at at the end of the night to make sure you had enough fucking money like this idea same with athletes like the idea that people are going to make you rich doing this you should just be grateful and like you know if you're blessed enough to like where you have a choice like i can play this cop in this buddy thing or i can do this sort of meaningful biopic like fine that's great but don't don't come to me like i don't do commercials i don't do this i would never it's like why did you see that's like a sellout move it's like you should just you know have some perspective like historically and just in your own life like where you are and what you've been given and like 
in a way, and I, so I just feel like any, anyone who wants to hire me to do anything, I'm excited, Let, let's get into it, like, you know, I'm free at the moment, so like, <laughs> I'm probably available to do it, you know, uh, we can discuss money, that's someone else's job, actually, I don't care, you guys work that out, you know, here's a little hint, I'll probably do it for whatever, <laughs> for whatever you want to give me, my agent doesn't like it when I whisper to the producers like this, but I'm probably down to do your thing, the job. You know, so don't offer too much. Got me. You know, but so I just am like happy in that space and like, and I just feel lucky to be an artist, to be considered an artist even still. And like that when things come my way, I just get really happy and excited. And so hopefully that continues. And really hopefully more things come my way because, you know, I'd like to do, I think it's what I do best. It's the thing I have to give to the world in the most abundant amount. And I'd like to do it more. So. Okay. That's where I'm at. Oh, that's awesome. Let's stop there. I don't know how that could have got how that could go any better than that. Oh, that was it was awesome. I rehearsed that for hours. No, I, I <laughs> hold on to your empathy, hold on to your sense of presence. These are the things that will carry you through. Thank you for that, Michael Stoyanov. And thanks for, well, chatting with us. ADD Comedy with Dave Rosansky also thanks Laura Parker, my co-producer, my dear friend, musician extraordinaire Al Rose for our theme song, I Feel Like a Million Dollars from Al's album, Sad Go Lucky. And we thank you, our listeners. If you liked our show, please give us a positive note on iTunes, won't you? If you're interested in having me at your theater, your improv school, having me be your midwife, uh, or be at a carpet event, for example, please drop me a line at dave at addcomedy.com. Dot com. Thanks, and we'll hear you in our ears. <laughs> <laughs>